0: Italian Wine Podcast. Chin, chin with Italian wine people. Swirl, Swirl. 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 sniff, sniff, sip, sip, and spit. Once again, spit. here we go. Swirl. Swirl, sniff, sip, sniff. 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 While you drink, don't forget this tasting tip. Welcome to this special edition where we talk wines and the Giro d'Italia. We held an exceptional clubhouse room dedicated to Giro d'Italia, but it was not recorded. I know, I know, bummer. But anyways, we thought about sharing some notes about the stages of the Giro, written and read by Mark Millen, a food, wine and travel writer, and the author of numerous books as well as magazine articles published on both sides of the Atlantic. Since these bikers will also go through Verona, the city of Vinitaly. There will be more special episodes to come. Stay tuned. Smith, while you drink, don't forget these tasting tips. Hi, I'm Mark Millen, and my journey through Italy on a virtual bike with a real wine glass in hand continues as I follow this year's Giro d'Italia as it makes its way down across the country. Here are my latest reports. Stage 4, Piacenza to Sestola, 187 kilometers. Sometimes in cycling, as in life, fortune favors the brave. Usually not, but yesterday showed that in the Giro, dreams really can come true. When rookie rider Taco Vanderhorn of the debutante team Intermarché Wanty Gobert decided to embark on a breakaway almost at the very start of a rainy, long and arduous stage that included some significant and steep climbs before a flat sprint finish, it seemed just another heroic gesture that was doomed to fail. Bravo all the same. Heroic gestures are always appreciated and valued in the giro. Tacos aim, he said afterwards, was just to ride aggressively and try to stay out front as long as he could. Seven others joined him and the peloton seemed happy to let them build a lead that was never more than could be reeled in. Other teams had their own strategies. Bora Hansgrove, for example, wanted to set a high tempo on the steep climbs in order to punish or drop rivals to their team leader Peter Sagan, one of a rare breed who can both sprint as well as climb. After the final descent in the Roero wine hills, with only 10 kilometers left until what should have been a sprint finish for the power riders, Vanderhorn was still out front, working together with Simon Pelot to somehow keep ahead of the chasing bunch. But their lead had been whittled down to a mere 45 seconds, surely never enough against the might and energy of a determined peloton. Vanderhorn then made an audacious move, He dumped his partner with whom he had worked so hard all day in what seemed surely an ill-fated final dash to glory. Amazingly, the bunch, with powerful teams like Kofidis joining in to help Bora Hansgrove, could not collectively catch him, and he managed to hold out, rolling into the finish line a mere four seconds ahead of the chasers, hand over mouth in shock, hardly believing that he had actually won a stage in a grand tour at his first attempt. Indeed, On the winner's podium, when presented with a magnum of Astoria Prosecco, he lifted the large bottle in triumph and drank deeply again and again. How sweet, how invigorating the taste of victory must have been! Meanwhile, the sprinters and their teams were left kicking themselves for their miscalculation, disappointed that the huge efforts that they had made on the climbs had come to no avail. No matter, Today is another day, but not one for the sprinters. Rather, it is the first stage with a significant mountaintop finish, when the real contenders to wear the Maliarose in Milan will be expected to stretch their legs and make an effort. Stage four begins in Emilia-Romagna, in Piacenza, an ancient city in the Po Valley that is the start of a famous Roman road. The Via Emilia which broadly follows the Po to reach the Adriatic at Rimini. Where the Romans were, the wine was usually good, and the winehills of the Coli Piacenza are no exception. Lucius Calpurnius Piso Caesonius, father-in-law to Julius Caesar, grew grapes in these same wine hills, And indeed the name of one of the zone's best-known wines, Guttornio, comes from a Roman drinking vessel known as a Gutturnium, round jug with a narrow neck. Today, an extensive range of grapes is grown here on vineyards that are contiguous with those of Lombardy's Oltrepot Pavese. Indeed, some producers have vineyards across both regions. Grapes include Barbera, Croatina, known locally as Bonarda, Pinot Nero, Cabernet Sauvignon for reds, and Malvasia, Chardonnay, Ortrugo, Pinot Grigio, Trebbiano, and Sauvignon Blanc for whites. After the surfeit of riches that is Piedmont, notably the Nebbiol aristocrats that we've been enjoying over the past few days, what I like best about the wines from Colli Piacentini is that they come in so many different styles, dry, medium, sweets, lightly frizzante, frizzante, and fully sparkling. Gutturnio is produced from Barbera blended with Croatino, usually around 60-40%. Barbera provides a structure and balances Croatino's sometimes rustic tannins, while Croatino smooths out the high acidity of Barbera. It can be made in both frizzante and still versions. The latter is probably the more serious wine, but I'm going to go with the frizzante for today as a picnic wine to go into my imagined saddlebag to accompany me on today's sojourn, not least because Gutturnio frizzante goes so well with the Salumi, The cured pork products for which Emilia Romagna is so rightly famous. Each town or area has its own specialty. Coppa piacentina, salame di felino, culatello di zibello, prosciutto di parma, mortadella di Bologna, prosciutto di Modena and more. So the plan for my virtual cycle today is first to go into a good gastronomia in Piacenza to purchase a simple picnic of affettate, sliced meats, a loaf of good bread, a bottle of Gutornio, perhaps from Castello di Luzzano, where the Fugazza sisters have long made excellent wines from both Colli Piacentini as well as Otrepo Pavese. I'll pause by the roadside at some point to enjoy this movable feast. The rather fatty meats will taste so good with a chunk of bread and washed down with the Gutornio. Just slightly sparkling, raspingly dry, still high in acidity and stainingly dark in color, as I cycle in my mind along first the ancient Via Emilia through lovely Parma, then up and into the northern flanks of the Apennines for the testing mountaintop finish at Sestola. An exciting and exhausting day ahead. Stage five. Modena to Cattolica, 177 kilometers. Suffering comes in many forms on a bike. Horrible, filthy, wet weather like yesterday's can make a day in the saddle simply miserable. When there are hills thrown in, it makes it even worse. Descending fast down steep and slippery wet roads where the smallest slick of petrol or diesel can bring you and those around you crashing down on the tarmac isn't much fun either. When you reach the bottom of that descent, freezing cold, and your muscles don't want to go again, it hurts. Then the attacks from those in front of you, the bastards. You try to keep up, but your legs have gone. Eventually, you just lose the will almost to live. All this and more happened to many riders on yesterday's stage that took this year's Giro into the mountains for the first time. Filippo Ganna relinquished the maglia Rosa as was expected. The new recipient in pink this morning is a veteran Alessandro De Marchi, riding for Israel's Startup Nation, while Joseph Lloyd Dombrowski from Delaware, USA, riding for UAE, attacked at just the right moment on the final Colle Passerina to outpace De Marquis by 13 seconds and claim the stage win as well as the Mali-Azzurra as best climber. There were losers too. Joao Almeida of Dakuna Quickstep, tipped as one of the GC favorites, dropped back a full five minutes on his rival, an amount that will be hard to recover. Meanwhile, the battle amongst the team leaders exploded into life, with those who are expected to fight it out for GC over the next two and a half weeks finally rousing themselves for the first time. Egan Bernal, Ineos Grenadiers, Mikhail Landa, Bahrain Victorious, Alexander Vlasov, Astana Premier Tech, Giulio Ciccone, Trek Segafredo, and English writer Hugh Carthy, EF Education Nippo, all attacked on that savage final climb, gaining small amounts of time over Simon Yates, Romain Bardet, Remco Ivenopol, and Vincenzo Nibali. Today, they will line up to go again in Modena, as the Giro returns to the Po Valley for a straight, pretty well dead flat stage along the old Via Minia to Catolica, a resort on the Adriatic coast. For the GC contenders, indeed for most of the bunch, it will be a day to recover, keep out of danger, and avoid crashes. Riders are beginning to get fatigued by now, and mishaps are always easy to happen on a bike. For the sprinters, it is another chance, and there are very few of them in this year's Giro, for their teams to deliver them to that final moment of truth at the end, when their explosive power will be put to the test on the streets of Cattolica. We stay in Emilia Romagna today, passing through Bologna, La Grassa, the Fat, one of Italy's great gastronomic destinations, Imola, Forli, Forlimpopoli, before reaching the coast at Rimini and heading down through Riccione to Cattolica, the latter three resorts all hoping that the tourists will be able to return this summer. For most of the ride, the wine hills of Romagna will be in view, foothills that lead up to the high Apennines, covered both with castles as well as vineyards. I'm going to pause today on my virtual Giro in Forlín Popoli, to give a nod to an unlikely Italian hero, Pellegrino Artusi, who is considered the father of domestic Italian cooking and who is credited as bringing the young Italian nation together, when, at the age of 70, He published in 1891 his cookbook, Science in the Kitchen and the Art of Eating Well. For many women across Italy, it was the first book they had ever owned. It was written in Tuscan Italian, the language of Dante, and included recipes as well as amusing anecdotes and common sense gathered from throughout Italy. The book was a massive success, and in future volumes, Artusi continued to include recipes that readers sent him from throughout the country. Even today, Science in the Kitchen is a book that many Italians still consult as a point of reference. Artusi attended school in Bertinoro, a wine town just outside of Forlimpopoli, that is a source of some of Romagna's best wines. So I'm looking forward to tucking into a lunchtime plate of Tagliataglia al Ragu, this sfoglia of pasta, expertly hand-rolled and cut by a Marietta at Casa Artusi, accompanied by Sangiovese di Romagna Vigna delle Lepre from Fattoria Paradiso, a wine that demonstrates that Sangiovese from Romagna, though different from its manifestations in Tuscany, can achieve structure, tannin, complexity, indeed true greatness. Just a glass, though, then it's back on my bike to pedal on to the sea. It's a tough life, but someone's got to do it. Stage 6. Grotto di Frassassi to Ascoli Piceno, 160 kilometers. Sometimes, your only goal on a bike is staying upright, avoiding trouble and mishap, riding anonymously in the bunch and keeping your powder dry for another day. Yesterday was never one for the GC contenders to do anything more than just that. Sadly, for some key riders, even that basic goal proved beyond them. And yet it had seemed on paper the most straightforward of days, the route from Modena to Cattolica dead flat and almost unerringly straight for just about all the way. Unlike the day before, the roads were dry and the weather was fine. A couple of riders managed to pull ahead of the bunch, but they were never going to be a threat. The peloton, controlled today by the sprinter's team, just let them dangle out there, knowing full well that whenever they wanted to, they could easily collect their collective fingers up the gas and just pull them back into the fold, like errant children who had been allowed to wander off while being kept under a watchful eye. The only tricky bits were when the bunch began to enter towns along the Adriatic coast towards the finish, Rimini, Riccione, and finally Cattolica. There are always sharp bends in towns and cities, and today was no exception, a number of acute turns that saw riders pushed against the boards or come off their bikes, bringing others down with them. Pavel Sivakov, a co-team leader of Ineos Grenadiers, was the first GC contender to go down and he is now out of the race. Yesterday's stage winner, Joe Dombroski, the proud wearer of the Malia Zura, and in second place on GC, also went down, though at least he managed to get back on his bike and limp to the finish, holding his left arm. Will he start today? Mikel Landa of Bahrain, victorious, and a genuine contender for GC, was involved in the same collision that involved a marshal and a central traffic island. There was only ever going to be one winner in that tussle. Those teammates waited loyally by his side while he was being treated on the ground. They eventually limped forlornly in to the finish, without their team leader, who was carted away in an ambulance and has now abandoned the race, a blow both to him and to his team, which must now regroup and find another point of focus. It could have been worse. The finish was technically very demanding, with the peloton traveling at frightening high speed around a number of 90-degree bends before the final 900 meters straight to the finish line. All of the main sprint contenders, looking both to snatch a coveted stage win as well as to accumulate more points for the Maglia Ciclamino, were there, jockeying for position, sticking to a wheel, ready to dash out and make their move. It started well for Giacomo Nizzolo, and it looked like he would nab his first win after a Sisyphean number of disappointing second finishes. But coming from way back, Caleb Ewan, the powerful Australian who rides for UAE, somehow managed to weave his way through the traffic to turbo power past two of his main rivals, Elia Viviani, who finished third, and the hapless Nizzolo who was left banging his handlebars in frustration as he had to settle for yet another second. Today's stage is an aperitivo to the high mountains that will later be encountered, crossing into Le Marche, one of Italy's still undiscovered regions, at least for international tourists. Yes, the beach resorts of the Adriatic are hugely popular, especially around Ferragosto, but inland is another world, stunning hill country leading up to the higher Apennines, such as today's route that traverses the starkly beautiful Parco Nazionale e dei Monti Sibelini. These two faces of Le Marche, coastal sea and inland mountain, are reflected in the region's wines as well as food. Take the characterful Verdicchio grape, There are countless light, zesty, lemony versions, some maybe even still bottled in the Amphora that was such a successful marketing feature as far back as the 70s, a reminder that Ancona was a Greek city. These lighter styles go perfectly well with a simple piadina, or with the seafood and shellfish enjoyed in coastal resorts when it is hot and you need something refreshing and quenching. Yet Verdicchio from both Castelli di and Mattelica has a capacity to produce great white wine, too, with structure, alcohol, persistence, wines that are capable of aging in the bottle. Such fuller verdiccios go well with the more robust foods of inland Neymarche, such as coniglio in porchetta, rabbit, boned and stuffed with wild fennel and garlic, then cooked in a wood oven. The reds are serious, too, both rosso conero and rosso piceno, made with reverse proportions of Montepulciano and Sangiovese, wines, again, that go well with the heartier foods of the hinterland. Today's tapa begins in Grotto di Frassassi, named for one of the largest cave complexes in Europe. Vast underground caverns filled with shimmering lakes and stalagmites and stalactites dangling down and pushing up out of the karst limestone. This subterranean world gives a glimpse into the geology of the region and reminds too that this is an area, like much of Italy, that is always prone to earthquakes. has happened most recently and devastatingly in 2016. Grotto di Frassassi lies near both Verdicchio zones and this is a good place to explore it in all its variety. Light and zesty, fuller and more structured, barrique fermented and aged, and even good sparkling as well as passito versions. Today's route stays in the mountains for the whole way, with three categorized climbs and a testing mini mountaintop finish just outside of Ascoli Piceno. Ascoli Piceno is is a delightful and still undiscovered small city. After the rigors of today's ride, I'm going to make my way first to the main Piazza del Popolo to visit the historic Café Maletti. The weather is fine. I'll sit at an outdoor table and watch the world go by, enjoying a local product, anisetta, the dry version with just a little water to make it go cloudy, served with an olive ascolane or two, a unique antipasto of this part of Limarque. The large olives, stoned, then filled with a savory meat mixture, breaded and deep fried, a more than substantial drinking nibble. Then a glass of wine, Pecorino, from the Cru Cole Vecchio vineyard of Tenuta Cocci Grifoni. It was here in the wine hills of Ofida that the Pecorino grape was rediscovered in the 1980s, growing high up in the Cibellini, where shepherds took their flocks, hence the name. Cole Vecchio produced from those original indigenous clones discovered by Guido Cochi Grifone, is a concentrated mass of white wine, indeed a white for lovers of red wines, as well as for all those who love the mountains from which it came. Stage 7. Notaresco Termoli, 181 kilometers. Every team in the Giro has its team leader and every team has its squad of domestiques. Domestiques are the workhorses of the peloton, selfless riders whose role is to toil in the service of their team leader. If a team leader punctures, a domestique will give him his bike and wait for the support vehicle to arrive. A domestique gathers the mousettes at the feed stations and collects water bottles for the team leader. If the team leader has to stop for a call of nature, a couple of domestiques will wait patiently and then marshal him back into the peloton. But most of all, the role of the domestique is to pace and protect, ensuring that that the team leader expends as little energy as possible and has support on the road at those times when he needs it most. Every now and then, a domestique can rise above his station and have his day in the sun. In last year's Giro, when Ineos Grenadier's team leader, Geraint Thomas, crashed on the foothills of Mount Etna on only stage 3, fracturing his pelvis and pulling out of the race, it was an opportunity for one of his domestiques, Tao Geoghegan Hart, to pinch the most unlikely overall Grand Tour victory on the final day's time trial in Milan. When Mikel Landa crashed at the end of yesterday's stage, fracturing his collarbone and ribs and abandoning the race, it gave his domestique teammate Gino Maeder the freedom to set out on a breakaway from the very start of the stage and to ultimately ride to victory at the summit of Cole San Marco, high above Ascoli Piceno. Following the withdrawal yesterday of co-team leader Pavel Sivakov, the Ineos Grenadiers put their domestiques to hard toil in the service of now sole team leader Egon Bernal. It was impressive to see them at the front of the peloton, riding as if in a team time trial, in and off the front to share the work, while all the time sheltering the diminutive climbing specialist Bernal. Then, on the slopes of that final climb, they took it in turns to share the load, first Filippo Gana, winner of Stage 1, and a former proud bearer of the Malia Rosa, but now back to his day job as domestique working hard to set a high pace. Then, Castroviejo took over, Bernal calmly on his wheel. Then, Johnny Moscone, all great riders themselves, working together for their team leader. Finally, with just a kilometer left, Bernal accelerated away and left them. Gino Mader, the breakaway, still held out to win the stage, but thanks to the unsung toil of his domestique teammates, Bernal finished second and was able to steal vital seconds off some of his main GC rivals. The same time, Ineos Grenadiers had laid down a marker, shown their collective depth, strength, and determination to the other teams. It occurs to me that there are domestiques in the world of Italian wine, too. Those unsung grape varieties that are used in blends and in those varietals that allow the addition of a small percentage of auxiliary grapes to make a wine better than it would be if it were vinified in purezza. Molinara and Rondinella, for example, exist primarily to blend with Corvina for wines such as Bardolino, Valpolicella and Amarone della Valpolicella, but they are rarely used to make wines on their own or at least I haven't encountered them. Similarly, canaolo Nero is used to soften Sangiovese's sometimes harsh tannins, but I've never tasted a Caneolo Nero wine. The purpose, like that of the cycling domestique, is to assist and improve. Sometimes grapes play the role of domestique in a blend, while also being able to stand on their own two feet. I'm thinking of Barbera with Croatino the latter softening the rather aggressive acidity of the former, but also capable, as Bonarda, of producing a deeply colored dry red in its own right. Vini d'Ataglio, cutting wines from the deep south, used to be used to beef up more insipid wines from the north, adding color and alcohol, but today stand proudly on their own, such as Negro Amaro and Nero d'Avola. In cycling, There are super domestiques, riders of great talent and the ability to win grand tours themselves, but who sometimes ride in the service of their team leader. Chris Froome for Bradley Wiggins, Garank Thomas for Chris Froome, for example. Cabernet Sauvignon in the service of Sangiovese in Carmignano is just such an example historically allowed in the blend since the Medici had brought French grapes into Tuscany centuries ago and because Carmignano was mentioned in Cosimo III's Grand Ducal Decree, Il Bando. Yet the creation of Sassicaia demonstrated that this foreign interloper was far more than just a useful domestique and a whole generation of Cabernet-based super-Tuscan wines was born. But I digress from today's business. The Giro today enters into Abruzzo, passing through the important wine zone of Terre di Chieti to finish along the coast in tiny Molise, one of the smallest, youngest and least visited of Italy's 20 regions. Though there are a few lumps along the way, the final half the ride is mainly flat to the finish at Termoli, a fishing town on the Adriatic coast. So it's a day when the sprinters and their teams of domestiques will be licking their lips again. I'm licking my lips too at the prospect of sampling some new foods and wines. There's plenty of good seafood to be had at Termoli, but Molise, like Abruzzo, is a land of shepherds who traditionally still take their flocks to high mountain pastures during the summer months. So I'm looking forward to tucking into a big plate of ragu di Agnello braised lamb and peppers, served over short pasta. Washed down with Tintilia from Di Mayo Norante, Molise's leading producer. Tintilia is a variety that was possibly brought to the region during the long period of Spanish occupation and was primarily used as a blending wine due to its good acidity and tannin. But now it is being produced as a wine in its own right, a former domestique given its chance to shine in the southern sun. Swirl, sniff, 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 sip, and and spit. Once again, here we go. Swirl, 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 sniff, sniff, sip, sniff. sniff, sniff, sniff. While you drink, don't forget this tasting tip.